You can't sing, you can't dance. So what do you, what do you want me to say? Congratulations, Neutral Corner on episode number 100. Good for you. That's good. That's, now that's good. William. That's good. That's the best attitude yet. Congratulations, Montero Unboxing! The Neutral Corner on episode number 100! Yeah! So, child, what do you think about episode number 100? <laughs> Halloween boxing fans, I'm Don King for Boxing Monthly, and you are watching the super sensational, fantastical, magical, fabulous, magnanimous, immaculate, congratulate 100th episode of The Neutral Corner. Now I know what y'all thinking. Did Don King murder again? Did he murder Michael Montero and take over his show? No, y'all. He's just ever so graciously let me co-host his show. Episode number 100. Viva Montero Boxing! Viva America! Viva Mexico! Viva Japan! Sorry about the Hiroshima thing, but y'all was being stubborn. Viva Canada! Crepes and all that. Viva the UK for Boxing Monthly. Viva Korea! We are filming in Koreatown, y'all. Viva La France! Viva Germany! Viva Montana Boxing! Why do I sound Pakistani? I don't know. Okay, guys. Uh, Michael Montero for Boxing Monthly. Obviously, uh, you see the Halloween costume, and my Don King accent needs a lot of work. But um, look, you guys see the Halloween costume, right? It works. And um, before I hear anything about you know cultural appropriation and all that, I didn't go blackface. I didn't put any makeup on. So chill with that. All right. Anyway, guys, episode one hundred. How awesome is this? We started this show back in my old apartment before we moved here to this one a couple years ago. Uh, probably started two and a half years ago with TNC. And it was literally me just sitting in a chair in my living room talking to the camera. Here's a clip. I mean, I won't even play it because the audio was so bad. But you guys can see we have the whole playlist. You could go back and watch some of those early episodes. And some of them were only like 10 minutes long. They were real, real short. As we've developed the show, you know, I've thought about different things, we've built it up, and you know, here we are, 100 episodes in, uh, partnered up with Boxing Monthly, who's been so supportive with us all the way. There's a Montero Unboxing page on the Boxing Monthly website where you can go back and see all the episodes. That way you don't have to go to YouTube and go searching or whatever. Go to the, the Boxing Monthly website, and you'll see everything right there on the Montero Unboxing page. Every episode, if you want to go back and look. Uh, so for me and Tiffany to look, you know, it's a little bit cringeworthy. Uh, but we've tried all kinds of stuff. We've experimented. Those of you who have been along the ride the whole way, thank you so much for your support. Those of you who have come in here and there along the journey and you've become part of the team, thank you so much. And, you know, I can only imagine where we're going to be 100 episodes from here. But as it stands now, um, I, I want to announce that we've actually 
had it in place for a few weeks, but um, just wanted to get all the kinks worked out. You guys have asked about the podcast. It's out there. Montero Unboxing, the Neutral Corner podcast is out there. It's on Stitcher, it's on SoundCloud, and it's on iTunes. Okay, so for those of you who can't watch YouTube, maybe you're at work or you're traveling or something, you can't use the data you, you know, on your phone, you can't connect, whatever, you can download it. Go to iTunes, go wherever, download it, listen to it. Guys, let me uh, ask a favor of you. Even if iTunes is your thing or maybe you like SoundCloud or Stitcher, one over the other ones, please go to all of them. The Montero Unboxing page on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes leave reviews. Give us ratings, give us reviews. The more reviews and ratings we get, the more popular it becomes, the higher up it goes on search engines. You know how all that stuff works. So we're just starting out. It's taken us two and a half years to build up the profile this far on YouTube. And I, I wanna get building it up in the audio sphere as well. So please go to those links. I'll provide them, you know, in the, in the, I'll probably post a comment with timestamps in this episode and I'll put some links there as well where you can click right to it, check it out. Even if you prefer YouTube, man, please go there and just drop a quick review. I don't care if you copy and paste the same review, TNC rocks, and you post it on all of them. We just really need your help with that. And we're working on a call-in feature. That's in the works. We had to get the podcast feature set up, the audio stuff set up. And it's a lot more involved than you would think. And it actually costs money to get all that set up. So the profits from the t-shirts and those of you who have been so generous to contribute to the channel on Patreon, we've taken all that and we've got the audio podcast stuff started. We've bought some of the equipment to get the call-in feature for the show started. So it won't be long before TNC will be a call-in show. We can take calls, we can chat all, you know, just about all the boxing stuff that happened the week before, week coming up, all that, just like the show is now, except you guys will be able to chime in live, call in. So we have all that stuff coming up, but right now, the podcast. Go check it out, guys. Episode 100, this is crazy. Let's get into some news and notes. Real quick, forgot to mention that the November issue of Boxing Monthly is out. It's been out for a while, but if uh, you know if it's in your country, go check it out on newsstands. If not, download the app. You can order it online, the whole nine. So check out the new uh, issue. All right, news and notes. Terrence Crawford, and I told you guys he's going to do this by the end of the year, but he's officially now dumped his 140-pound titles, moving up to 147, and immediately the WBO who does a lot of business with top rank, who promotes Terrence Crawford, has immediately made Terrence Crawford the WBO mandatory for Jeff Horn, which makes a ton of sense. And we all know that uh, Jeff Horn beat Manny Pacquiao earlier this year in Australia, and they tried to get a rematch going before the end of this year. Pacquiao had some obligations, his senatorial duties over in the Philippines that didn't quite come together. And it's not quite clear if he even wants the rematch early next year. So for top rank, who's trying to build up Terrence Crawford's profile, if the Pacquiao-Horn rematch could have been put together, Crawford would have been in the co-main. They don't know what's up with Manny. And even Bob Arum is going on record saying, I don't know what the guy's doing. I don't know what his plans are. Next best thing for them is to get Crawford right in there against Jeff Horn. So you got to think some point in the first quarter, 
Terrence Crawford's gonna travel over there to Australia, fight Jeff Horn, and it's gonna be on ESPN. Probably the same scenario, you know, where it's uh, an awkward time here in the States that it's on. It'll be interesting to see what kind of ratings it does. Remember the ratings for Pacquiao Horn were huge. I'm not expecting it to do anywhere near that, obviously. But even if they can get one quarter of those ratings for Terrence Crawford, that'd be a big deal. It also gets him in the mix at welterweight. And the political landscape at welterweight is pretty much owned by PBC and Al Heyman, right? So one way for Crawford to get into the mix negotiating-wise is to have a title. That's going to help him possibly get some of those bigger fights with some of those PBC names. It's going to be tough because Uncle Al is going to want to keep, keep it all in-house. But if Crawford at least has a title, he has, some, he has a, a bargaining chip. So that's going to be a big thing. And obviously, you know, we like Terrence Crawford real big in that fight. Also with the WBO, they announced uh, Terry Flanagan, who dumped his 135-pound title, announced he's moving up to 140. Uh, actually, it's not official yet at the time I'm filming this, but they're probably going to put together a fight for the vacant 140-pound title that Crawford just dumped between Flanagan and Maurice Hooker, who's an undefeated fighter out of Dallas. I like Flanagan big in that fight. It's probably going to go down in the UK. I saw Hooker up close and personal uh, last year, I believe it was, with the, was it maybe Canelo Khan? fight I, I want no no it wasn't Canelo Khan I think it was the first Andre Ward Sergey Kovalev fight Maurice Hooker fought on that card and got away with a gift technically undefeated but he should have lost on that undercard if I remember correctly and got a gift for Flanagan you know he was talking about possibly fighting Jorge Linares that didn't work out I don't know the details of that situation I don't know if it was Golden Boy being stubborn as they were with Mikey Garcia and that situation between a Garcia and Lonares fight or even a Garcia-Miguel Cotto fight, I don't know if that was the situation or if Flanagan just didn't like the deal, whatever. But I would have loved to have seen Flanagan fight Lonares. Obviously, you'd favor Lonares big. But now Flanagan dumps that title, moves up to 140, probably going to fight for a vacant WBO title there and a much more winnable fight for him. And it'll be a second title and a second weight class for him. Uh, also at the WBO, Sergey Kovalev and Vasislav Shabransky are now fighting for the vacant WBO light heavyweight title that Andre Ward dumped when he retired. So the WBO released a bunch of news uh, recently. And look, I, you know, it all makes sense what they're doing there. All three of those moves make a lot of sense. So good on the WBO for making some logical moves there. All right, some buzzkill negative kind of news. Adelaide Bird is back scoring fights already. Now, I forgot to mention this in last week's episode, but it was actually Saturday, October 21st, uh, five weeks exactly to the day that she turned in one of the worst scorecards in a big high-profile fight that we've seen in years with Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin, which I think it was 10 rounds to two for Canelo, which is just putrid. It's disgusting. And you all know the fallout. I reamed Bob Bennett other people got in Bob Bennett's butt before the cameras were on, and, and a lot of people talked to him when the cameras were off after the press conference. There were a lot of media people that really, really lit up Bob Bennett over Adelaide Bird's score. There was absolutely no suspension, and she's back five weeks later scoring a fight. Now, it was a Mayweather Promotions small card there in Las Vegas. 
and it was an eight rounder. It was a small nondescript fight, but the principle still applies. That's, it's, it's just absolutely disgusting that this woman, who is one of the worst judges in boxing, is back five weeks later scoring a fight in the Nevada State Athletic Commission on a Mayweather Promotions card. Her husband, Robert Byrd, refed Mayweather's fight with uh, Conor McGregor earlier this year in that freak show fight. They are so embedded in that commission, man. Mayweather owns it. And all the commission people work together. It, it, it's, it's just flat out, flat out corrupt. I want to use the word inept. You guys know I don't like throwing blanket statements out there about corruption and stuff. Do I think that they're knowingly corrupt and they're doing, <clears throat> they're doing nasty deals and setting up scorecards for fights way in front and all this? No, I don't think that's happening. But they're corrupt in the sense that they enable and allow ineptitude. And Adelaide Burr is one of the worst judges in boxing. Bob Bennett says, oh, she gets it right 90% of the time. Well, guess what? A chimp can score 90% of fights. It's that 10%, especially when it's fights at the highest level, that really matter and make a difference. And it's pathetic that Bob Bennett and the commission not only have Adelaide Bird back, but she's scoring on a Mayweather Promotions card. That's just nepotism. These people aren't blood relatives, but it's nepotism in a different kind of way. It's almost like Hollywood with the Harvey Weinstein thing and, and all the protection that goes on in Hollywood. And you guys know that I dabble in that world. And uh, I'm not crazy about the way that business is run. And the way Nevada handles boxing and MMA is equally as disgusting. So, you know, Adelaide Bird, if I'm a promoter and I'm putting on, or a trainer, uh, taking my fighter to any Las Vegas fight, I am flat out refusing to go forward with it if Adelaide Bird's involved. And I'm writing it into the contract. So let's say if I'm Tom Loeffler and I'm representing Gennady Golovkin and that rematch, 99% chance it's going to go back to Las Vegas, even though this week Gennady Golovkin traveled back to Dallas, Texas to scope out uh, and just see about a possible future fight there. And I do think Golovkin will eventually fight there. If Canelo screws him over and doesn't do the rematch for May, I do think that Golovkin will fight in Dallas in May. However, I do think the rematch will go through and it will go to Vegas. If I'm Tom Loeffler, I want it written into the deal. And I know they already have a contract already for the rematch, but I'm going to want to add a stipulation that Adelaide Bird is not a judge in the fight. That's me. All right, one last thing here. Uh, Ray Vargas and Oscar Negrete have agreed to a fight on the Miguel Cotto Sadama Lee card, and this is for Vargas, the defense of his WBC Super Bantamweight title. This will be his second defense. Uh, we last saw him on August 26th at StubHub Center beating Ronnie Rios on a Cotto Kamagai card. So for Vargas, this will be the second time this year fighting uh, as a co-main to a Miguel Cotto card on HBO. Uh, fun little scrap. Negrete, if you guys don't know about him, really, really nice guy. Really, and his team, wonderful people. He's from Colombia, lives here in SoCal. You see him around the fights all the time, hanging out. 17 0 with seven knockouts. He's improving with every fight, but he's moving up in weight. He's really a bantam weight, and not even a big bantam weight. So he's moving up in weight for this title opportunity and making a huge leap in opposition. So I do think he's a live dog in this fight, but I got to heavily favor 
Ray Vargas in that matchup. All right, guys, that's enough news and notes. Remember, please go to Stitcher, go to iTunes, go to SoundCloud, and drop a rating and a review for the Neutral Corner podcast. Get the word out there. Tweet about it. Please blow it up so we can get that thing going. Let's get into the review of what took place in the ring this weekend. Friday, October 27th in Schwerin, Germany. Jürgen Brommer surprises everybody with a pretty much a shutout. Unanimous decision win over Rob Brandt, who suffers his first pro loss. For Brommer, he improves to 49-3 with 35 KOs. The scores were 119-109, 118-110, and somehow one judge had a 116-112. I don't know how you could give four rounds to Brandt. Honestly, I struggled to give him a round. It was almost shutout. And now for Brommer, he gets Callum Smith next. That'll be in the first quarter of 2018. A lot of people think that Smith is just going to walk right through him. And originally, that was my thought, too. Look, I thought Brandt was going to win in an upset special here because you have an older guy cutting down in weight. And we've seen this before. If you're 20, 25, and you're cutting down in weight, not a big deal. But when you're in your 30s and you're a grown man and you're cutting down seven pounds, that's substantial. But it looks like Brommer and his team did it the right way. They weren't cutting off a bunch of muscle. Uh, he looked really fresh in this fight. He looked really, really good. Made you wonder, could he have made 168 this whole time? He's had legal troubles and stuff outside the ring. Uh, he's had some just troubles in his life. But in the ring, could he have made 168 this whole time? And what kind of impact might he have had in that division? Because he looked really, really good in this fight. Uh, doesn't hit with a lot of power. Not uh, the fastest guy in the world, but fundamentally a good, solid boxer. And thus far, I believe he's been stopped once in his career, but he's shown pretty good whiskers, fairly durable guy. I think he's, you got to favor, I favor Callum Smith against Brommer, but I think that fight is a lot more evenly matched than people think. I, I think that Brommer is going to give him trouble. That fight, the way it should look, is Brommer might be up after three or four rounds. It might kind of resemble when Austin Trout just fought Jared Hurd, where Hurd was down early because the, you know, Trout was just so much more experienced and looked so good. But Hurd's strength and his youthfulness, his energy, really, really started to wear Trout down. Maybe that's what we're going to see with Smith and Brommer. Maybe we're Brommer's ahead after three, four rounds, and then Smith learns on the job and starts to take control in the middle to late rounds. I just don't know if Smith is going to stop Brommer. It's possible, but it's probably going to go all 12. That's how I thought this fight with Brandt would look. It just didn't look anything like it. For Rob Brandt, who him and his team talked about needing a knockout, we can't get a decision in Germany, uh, this is going to be you know, the toughest fight of our life, and saying all this stuff, Brandt fought with absolutely no sense of urgency. None. This was the opportunity of his life. This is what he's been taking thousands of punches for, thousands of hours training for since he was a child. Brent started boxing when he was just a kid. He had a pretty good amateur career. You know, he really knows his stuff. This is your big opportunity, dude. And going into that 12th round, knowing you're down probably 10 rounds to one or so, to not even go for broke and to try to get a knockout, it's just a bad look. He just didn't show up. And on paper, it should have went the way 
like I said, it should have been a young guy who's fresher, stronger, and whose career is supposed to be going upwards, the trajectory of his career going upwards, versus the old man cutting a bunch of weight, trajectory of his, of his career going downwards. You should have seen the young guy learning the job. Didn't happen. So you know what? Brent's just not that good. He's just not that good. And we don't need to see him again. I could care less to ever see the guy again. Um, I am more interested in Brommer Smith than if you would have asked me about that fight six months ago, I would have laughed at you and said, I'm not watching that crap. Now, I'm kind of interested in that fight. So the World Boxing Super Series continues to build momentum and gets better with each fight, man. This wasn't a great fight. Don't get me wrong on that. But it was a surprising outcome that most people, including a lot of experts, people uh, in Vegas and stuff, you know, we're surprised at this performance. Not necessarily that Brommer won, but how he dominated. So, good stuff from him. Okay, Saturday, October 28th in Cardiff, Wales. Over 70,000 people showed up to watch Anthony Joshua fight Carlos Takam. Also, undercard, let's talk about it. Because a lot of people were excited for this fight between Dillian White and Robert Hellenius for the vacant WBC silver title, which turned out to be a complete dud. Guys, sometimes this just happens. Now, for Hellenius, he took this fight apparently on only one and a half weeks notice. I think he had like 10, 11 days notice. Wasn't in the best shape, but you know what, dude? You're a professional athlete. You're a professional fighter, and this is the way the business works. And you know this because you're a veteran. So he should have been in shape for this fight. Again, again, just another guy who showed up in the ring looking disinterested and not willing to go for broke. Knowing that the WBC silver title's on the line, which means you're eventually going to get a shot at Deontay Wilder, which means a seven-figure payday, Hellenius just didn't do anything. And for White, he wins by the scores of 119-109 twice, 118-110. He gets in 12 rounds of good, solid work, didn't set the world on fire, but he needed this kind of fight against a taller opponent, get in the rounds, uh, confidence builder, the whole nine, Good performance by White. Good, solid performance by Dillian White in a fight that did not live up to expectations. A lot of people thought it might turn into a slugfest because of the way White's fight with Derek Chisora looked. Um, Hellenius is probably better than Chisora, but you wouldn't know that by the way the two fights turned out. Nonetheless, White moves on. Also on the undercard, Khalid Yafai defends his WBA super flyweight title over Sho Ishida. And Ishida was another guy who just didn't show up. Just didn't show up. So, so Yafai is now 23-0 at 14 knockouts. He won by the scores of 116-112 twice, 118-110. 118-110 was probably the more legit score. To, to me, I just didn't see anything from Ishida. Again, huge opportunity, dude. What, what are you doing? Step on the gas. Go for it. Katie Taylor on the undercard wins the vacant WBA lightweight, female lightweight title in just her seventh pro fight. And Katie Taylor is yet to fight anybody with a pulse that could really challenge her. She's very vulnerable to get hit. There are some huge defensive liabilities there that a more skilled female fighter could exploit or a more powerful female fighter could exploit. But let's give Miss Taylor props. She went pro last November. It has been less than a year, guys, less than a calendar year. She has fought seven times and now claimed a world title in less than a year as a pro fighter. Good stuff. Good stuff from Katie Taylor. 
All right, now to the main event. Anthony Joshua improves to 20-0 with a TKO 10 win over Carlos Takam, defends his IBF and WBA heavyweight titles. Came into this fight weighing 254 pounds, and that did concern some people, but I think he was he saw the level of opposition in front of him, and he's I don't like the amount of muscle on AJ. I do think eventually that's going to cause him trouble. It hasn't so far. For Takamu, it was a late second replacement. He took this fight on 12 days' notice. He got cut above the eye. I want to say it was the right eye. Pretty bad cut. And it was from a punch. It was a legit, I believe, a counter hook from Joshua that just clipped him with that, sometimes with the, the, the edge of the glove, even though it's smooth, it slides across the skin. When you get that sliding kind of punch that lands, and when you're a tall guy punching down at a smaller guy who's shelling up and rolling, those sliding kind of punches land a lot, and they cause cuts. Just imagine you know, a piece of leather rubbing across your skin very, very hard. It can open up a cut. And that's what happened to Takam. And that cut, it was also, he also had a flash knockdown. I can't remember what round. It might have been the fourth or fifth round. Wasn't really hurt. It's just that once he was cut, that cut was clearly bothering him. He was complaining about it and rubbing it the whole time. Uh, he clearly was uncomfortable with it. He didn't see the counter hooks coming. All that being said, he survived in there and did a very, very good job. And I never thought he was badly hurt. He got rocked a couple times, but he was never really dropped. It, it, flash knockdown, but never dropped as such to where he looked badly hurt. And for the ref to stop it in the 10th round, I hated that damn stoppage. I hated it. It's not because I think the ref was helping AJ. He didn't need any help. He dominated. He won every round of the fight. Maybe Takam won a round. Maybe there was a round around the 7th or 8th where he landed some good shots, and I gave him one of those rounds. Maybe he won a round. But I really think that Takam was probably going to go the distance. It looked like it to me. Maybe not. Maybe Joshua could have got him out of there with a big concussive KO, which would have excited the fans. It would have been a highlight for him. So he kind of got robbed of that possibility. But Tekum got robbed of the possibility of going all 12 with the most physically strong, athletic, dominating, in terms of his physicality, heavyweight ever. That's literally what AJ is already. Even more than George Foreman. Yep, I'm saying it. For him to be able to say that with that bad cut, that would have been a moral victory for him. Also, I tweeted right after that stoppage. Terrible stoppage, and Eddie Hearn wants to bring uh, Deontay Wilder over to the UK. You need to clean that stuff up. Some of you jumped down my throat. I used the word lure. Uh, you know, you want to lure Deontay Wilder over to the UK with that kind of stoppage going on? Good luck. That's basically what I was saying. I didn't mean lure like Wilder's the A-side. And, you know, you're luring the A-side over to the UK. That's not what I meant, guys. What I meant, I should have used the word entice or, uh, you know, bring. Maybe those were better words. In other words, what I was trying to say is Deontay Wilder, who has fought nobody, but he has agreed to sign the dotted line and travel before. He did agree to fight Povetkin over in Russia. He can be enticed to travel, but you got to throw out a lot of money and if there's any crazy stoppages happening or drug testing stuff going on that shouldn't be happening, you know, a lack of drug testing, he's not going to sign. 
You want to entice this guy to come over to the UK and you're having stoppages like this against Carlos Takim. Well, he's going to be wilder, suspicious, and you can't blame him. Now, a lot of you would say, well, Anthony Joshua is going to be suspicious coming over to Las Vegas, right? To fight in Las Vegas against Deontay Wilder. Vegas with all their crazy commission issues. I agree with you. But the Las Vegas people know who the A-side in the fight is. They know who the money man is. They know who they want to bring back to Vegas. And that's Anthony Joshua. They don't give a damn about Deontay Wilder. So I think AJ will actually get favor in Las Vegas over Deontay Wilder. I don't think that's a concern for him. But the money in the UK, where they can put 100,000 butts in seats over there in an instant they could sell those tickets. They sold 70,000 tickets for Joshua Pulev. Remember, it was going to be Kubrat Pulev before Tekum. In a matter of hours, I think, maybe minutes. So, no doubt, an AJ and Wilder fight would sell out instantly over there. Eddie Hearn said in the, in the post-fight interview after the stoppage with Tekum that they want to bring Deontay Wilder over to the UK. All I was saying in my tweet was, that kind of stuff, don't give Deontay Wilder any excuse not to sign the dotted line. Don't stop the fight early so that Anthony Joshua can keep his KO streak intact. I'm not suggesting that's what the ref was actively thinking, but that's the way it could look to some people who want to defend Wilder and bash Joshua. That's all I'm saying, guys. Sometimes perception is everything. That's all. That's all I meant by that. So overall, impressive performance by Joshua. I, I, I won't say impressive. Solid workmanlike performance. A lot of you guys are, were upset at the lack of action. Let me tell you, as a tall guy, I'm six foot four myself. When you are fighting a shorter guy who's shelling up, who's rolling with punches, it is almost impossible to land on the chin. This is an issue we saw with Vladimir Klitschko, with Lennox Lewis, with um, even Riddick Bowe when they fought shorter guys. It's hard to look good against a really short defensive-minded fighter. Much easier to look good against a defensive-minded fighter that is of equal height or even a little especially taller than you because you're punching up and there's a lot more room there. So all the guys who were bashing Vladimir Klitschko for some of his performances, and I remember going back to the late 90s, early 2000s, or I'm sorry, just more 90s with Lennox Lewis. Uh, a lot of people bash some of his performances. It's hard to look good against these shorter guys. This won't be the, the last time we see Joshua look awkward against a short squat opponent. That's just how it works with these super tall heavyweights. Whew, man, this wig. Ah, I've had it with this wig and these glasses and this jacket. It's really, really warm. So I'm just gonna go ahead and take this off. Oh man, yeah. I'm sure that'll play well on the audio podcast. You guys listening to me take off my costume. Okay, let's get into the preview here. Thursday, November 2nd, Golden Boy Promotions is back on ESPN from Tucson, Arizona with another card that, you know, look, to be honest, it's just a lackluster card. Jesus Soto Carras going up against Juan Carlos Abreu. It's a 10 round fight. At the time I'm filming this, I still don't know if it's 147 pounds or 154 pounds. My guess is that it will wind up somewhere in the middle, depending on where the fighters want to weigh in at. 
For Soto Carras, he's coming off a loss, obviously, earlier this year. He's lost four of his last five going back to 2013 and nine of his last 15 going back to 2009. Now, what does that mean? That means he's a journeyman. That's just the level Soto Carras is on. And it's okay for him to be fighting on television, but headlining a card? I don't know about that. A brew is from Dominican Republic. He has never beat anybody of note. Anybody. So this has a feel of an undercard fight. This this feels like, you know, maybe a co-main on a you know HBO boxing after dark kind of thing. Or maybe not even a co-main, maybe the opener to a triple header. That's kind of the feel that this fight has. And for Golden Boy Promotions, um, you know, they've had several of these cards recently where there's just not a high level matchup. Good matchup as far as the action because both guys are around the same level. If you put two journeymen in the ring together or an older guy who once was good and is faded and a younger guy moving up, you know, up the ranks, you know, sometimes you get good action. There's been some action in these Golden Boy cards, but the quality of the matches hasn't been good. I will give them a pass in this respect. It's a Thursday night card. If you're doing like um, PBC with their Tuesday night cards on Fox Sports 1, you guys never hear me bash those. I never bash the quality of those fights because it's a Tuesday night card. This Golden Boy card is a Thursday night card. If you're doing Thursday night cards, Friday night cards, and the action or the matchups aren't elite level, that's okay. But if you're going to go on Saturday... You got to have a headliner, man. You got to have a, a good, at least elite level talent on that card if you go in prime time on Saturday night. So for this, a Thursday night card, look, if you're bored, you got nothing going on, you want to watch some boxing Thursday night, boom. This is on ESPN, ain't costing you a dime. Uh, several undefeated prospects will be on this card as well. And to me, that's the good part of this card. You're going to see some undefeated prospects moving their way up including Ryan Garcia, who's an interesting prospect at uh, junior lightweight. He's in an eight-rounder. So look, it's all about how you look at it. It's all about perception. A lot of people have been bashing these Golden Boy cards. I kind of look at these cards as a little bit of a bump up from the Tuesday night cards and Fox Sports 1 that PBC is doing. That's pretty much what these have been so far. So Golden Boy, big promoter. They have a lot of fighters. They have to get those fighters fights. Would you rather a fight like this be on HBO or on ESPN? I think you'd much rather this be on ESPN, right? And they know that a fight like this with Mexican, you know, Jesus Soto Carras is beloved by the Mexican American fans, especially here in the SoCal area, Los Angeles area. It'll do a rating. It'll do a decent rating for the cost that this card is, uh, is costing Golden Boy and ESPN and everybody. So it makes sense in that regard, all right? Based, remember Friday Night Fights on ESPN? The quality of those matchups most of the time? You accepted it because it was Friday Night Fights. It's kind of what this is. All right, speaking of Friday, this Friday in Russia, Ricardo Mayorga is fighting. Yuck. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about that at all. Just going to mention it because it's kind of sad. And we're just going to move right on into Saturday, November 4th. We got a couple of cards. We got HBO and Showtime doing dueling cards. In Monte Carlo, Monaco, a matchroom boxing card, Jamie McDonald from Yorkshire. 
going up against Laborio Solis from Venezuela. Uh, McDonald's defending his WBA bantamweight title. This will be his sixth defense of that title. This is a rematch of a fight that took place back in November, last November, in Monaco, where McDonald won on all three cards, and many felt it was a gift decision. A lot of people thought that Solis deserved to win or that it was a very, very close fight, and the scorecards were too wide. So Solis, his manager, filed a protest with the WBA, and the WBA, to their credit, ordered an immediate rematch. I bashed the WBA for a lot of things. But they have been pretty fair over the last year or so when they, when they have a controversial decision that involves one of their titles. They've been pretty good about ordering rematches. We saw Murata Endam, right? That, that rematch just happened. And now we're going to see this rematch between McDonald and Solis. Can McDonald improve upon his performance from the first fight the way that we saw Murata improve in his performance in his rematch against uh, Endom. Can we see that out of McDonald? Or will Solis double down and will he get better? So if McDonald wins, obviously, no-brainer would be a unification fight with Ryan Brunette, who I think has the WBA Super Bantamweight title. McDonald has the WBA regular. So just as soon as I Say something nice about the WBA, I have to say something bad about them. But to unify the WBA title, even though it's in the same division, wrap your head around that, and the IBF title. So that would be a unification fight. So if McDonald wins, that sets up a, a nice matchup next year between Burnett and McDonald. Also on this card, Dimitri Bevel going up against Trent Broadhurt, who has absolutely no business being in the ring against Bevel, and it's going to look like it. This is going to be a beatdown. For Beevil, this will be the first defense of his WBA light heavyweight title. He won the interim title earlier this year and then was elevated to full titleist. So he's going to get a defense in and probably get a nice highlight reel knockout after some early, fairly competitive rounds. Also, Scott Quigg is on this card. I don't, I don't think he's going to be on the televised card, but he is fighting over there. This will be his third fight since moving up to uh, featherweight. And also, former pro kickboxer. I think he's from Turkey originally, but now he fights out of Germany. Ajit or Agit, I'm not sure how to spell or say the first name. Ajit Kabayel, 16-0, 12 knockouts right now. He's fighting Derek Chisora. So that'll be an interesting step-up fight for him. Maybe this guy has something, uh, you know, maybe he's something to take a look at. We'll find out. Okay, now here in the States, Barclays Center, Brooklyn. Deontay Wilder, Berman Stavern rematch. The fight everybody wanted, right? Actually, I guess I got to put this back on. <laughs> I ain't so dead yet, y'all. I ain't so dead. I, Don King, I'm not so dead. Yeah, Don King, who promotes Berman Stavern, he works some magic. Some, he has a lot of pull with the WBC. Look, uh, maybe he threatened to kill somebody. He's done that before. Um, yeah, I don't know, but you guys know the story with Luis Ortiz, you know, that was supposed to be this fight. I was actually really excited for that matchup. Stavern was going to fight Dominic Brazil. You guys know what's happened. There's no need to beat that dead horse. The first fight between Wilder and Stavern was January of 2015. That was almost three years ago. Man, it's, it's crazy. It, it feels like it wasn't that long ago. It's almost been three years. It was a complete shutout for Wilder. It was a completely one-sided fight. Um, 
for Stavern, he's done little to nothing since. He fought once against a journeyman. He was dropped in that fight. He barely won. Wilder has fought a few times, just not against very good opposition. The Povetkin situation, the Ortiz situation, not his fault. The rest of his opponents, partially his fault. He's also injured himself because he's fought down to the level of opposition. He's fought so carelessly, just flailing punches like a windmill, right? That's kind of become his nickname on social media. He's thrown out tendons and ligaments, and he's been hurt a couple times. And that's on him for not training properly, not taking care of his body, and getting himself injured. It's not like he was in these tough, grueling fights against high-level opposition. If he would have went out there and took care of business, even if it didn't look spectacular the way Anthony Joshua just did against Carlos Tecum, Wilder probably wouldn't have got injured. But throwing crazy punches out of left field and everything, that's a good way to get yourself hurt, especially when you got long arms and you're punching down at somebody. Like I said, I'm speaking from experience on that one. Obviously, I like Wilder huge in this rematch, and he should knock out Stavern in this one. If he doesn't knock the guy out, wow, that's a, that's a bad, bad look. He is coming off an injury, so I don't expect him to come out guns blazing, but I do expect him to fight disciplined the way he did in the first fight. He looked really good in the first fight. Stuck a move, worked behind a jab, fought 12 good hard rounds, didn't get injured. Unless I'm forgetting something, but I don't think he got injured against Stavern because he fought fundamentally sound. like to see him do that in the rematch. If he fights the way in this rematch he did in the first fight, he will knock Stavern out in the late rounds. He will knock him out. Okay, co-feature. Dominic Brazil is fighting Eric Molina for the WBC mandatory. Even though we just had Dillian White and Robert Herlanius fight for the WBC silver title, we also have these two fighting for the mandatory. So make sense of this situation however you can. I, I can't make sense of it. But obviously, I favor Brazil big in this fight. Eric Molina is best known for losing to both Joshua and Wilder, uh, going more rounds and giving a much harder fight to Wilder. But I don't see him. You know, he'll hang. He's a tough guy. He'll hang tough with Brazil. Wouldn't surprise me if this thing goes the distance. But I do think Brazil, who's just so much bigger and stronger, Molino can't hurt him. He's shown a very good chin. He stood up to Joshua and just took a beating from dude and took a lot of punishment, showed really sturdy whiskers and some real intestinal fortitude. He's just not very athletic. He's very slow. His stance is horrible. He's wide open. But Molina's not going to do anything about it. It might be a sloppy, fun kind of fight to watch. Two guys winging bombs at each other, not much skill, very rudimentary, but I do think it'll be fun. I do think that uh, Brazil will get the decision win here, and then I guess he's going to get Deontay Wilder next, and that'll be early first quarter next year. If Wilder does fight Brazil, that kind of does prepare him a little bit for Joshua in the respect that Brazil is a very tall guy who's physically bigger and stronger than Wilder, but Obviously, nowhere near the athlete or skill set of Joshua, right? And then after that, if he fights uh, Dillian White, especially if he goes over to the UK and fights Dillian White over there, it builds his profile up over there and builds up momentum for an eventual showdown with Anthony Joshua. Here's what I'd like to see from Deontay Wilder next year. Fight Brazil in the first quarter, maybe late first quarter, early second quarter next year, right? Then go over in the summer and fight Dillian White over in London. 
And then late in the year, whether it's over in the UK or it's here in Las Vegas, because the big money in Vegas might lure AJ over here. Eddie Hearn has said he wants to come to Vegas. Either one, make that fight. Make it. And who knows? Maybe I actually give Wilder a good shot against AJ. And I actually think it's going to be more competitive and tactical than a lot of you think. I think it's going to look similar to the AJ Klitschko fight in, in terms of styles. Obviously, Klitschko is way more fundamentally sound than Wilder and even Joshua. But just size-wise, arm length and the fighting style, I can see it looking a lot like that. It's going to be a more tactical fight than you guys realize. Let's just say, let's just say, AJ wins a decision against Wilder, but it's fairly competitive. Eight rounds to four, seven rounds to five. They can do a rematch in 2019 and make a ton of money. So it only makes sense to do that late next year. And if they take that path, Brazil, White, then Joshua, all is forgiven for Deontay Wilder's past transgressions, and he'll be back in, in, he'll be out of the doghouse with American boxing fans. Okay. Also on this card at Barclays Center, it's a nice little card they put together. Sergey Lipinets, 12 0 with 10 knockouts, going up against Japanese fighter Akihiro Kondo, fighting for the vacant IBF 140 pound title. This is the title, one of the titles that uh, Crawford gave up as he was moving up to welterweight. This is a completely one sided fight. First fight outside of Japan for Kondo. I think Lipinets is absolutely going to tear through this guy. One thing about Japanese fighters, they're tough. They take a licking and keep on ticking. So I do think that it's going to be entertaining in that respect. But I look for Lipinets to get this guy out of there toward the late rounds. Even if it's a corner stoppage or the ref just saying, okay, no more. You're getting beaten up, dude. We're going to put an end to this. Also, Sean Porter fighting Adrian Granados, 10 rounds. You know, they listed it at 10 rounds, but then they also listed it for the vacant WBC silver welterweight title. So it's got to be 12 rounds. The, the press release that they sent me had to be wrong. Porter Granados, vacant WBC silver. To me, this is a way for Porter to work his way back into a rematch with Keith Thurman, which is what he's wanted for a while. He wins this silver title. It's kind of like a mandatory for the WBC down the road. He's probably going to get Keith Thurman again. Also, Amanda Serrano fighting on the undercard. Fairly accomplished female fighter that has a, a following over there in the New York area. So that's it, guys, for, uh, for this week. Man, 100 episodes of TNC in the books. I want to thank Don King for coming out and uh, guest hosting in that intro, even though um, he started to sound Pakistani with his accent there for a while. But guys, I hope you've loved the journey that we've been on. And um, we're going to continue this together. Bigger and better things to come. Uh, thank you very much to Boxing Monthly for all your support, guys. You know, we've been doing this together. And we're going to keep doing it together. I can only imagine where we'll be about two years from now for episode 200. Who knows who the guest host will be that night. But for now, guys, please like, share, subscribe. Go leave those reviews for the audio podcast on those three platforms. And I'll see you at the fights.